We're in this series, walking through the book of Philippians. It's a letter that Paul wrote to a specific church. And so the main focus that we've been hitting on throughout this series, we've talked it, it's in the title, is that we are a living expression of who Jesus is to the world around us. Really, like we are this living embodiment of who Jesus is. If we've chosen to follow him, then we have this relationship with Jesus. And now we have the opportunity, the mandate, the instruction, the power that's given to us by God to be a living expression of who Jesus is to everyone that's around us. And so if we remember back to last week, Paul was talking about some specific things about living our lives in such a way that goes till the end, that goes forward, that doesn't just look back, but we're going to move forward and push forward and live for Christ in all that we do. And Paul did something really interesting that we that was challenged for us to do as well, but to to use himself as an example for this church in the church of Philippians. He said, follow my example as I follow Christ. And so we're going to actually get to that again this week. And so, you know, today um, my voice is a little shot. I was at the Sounders match yesterday. It was like overtime craziness. My heart is still pumping. Like, well, obviously, because I'm breathing, but it's like, it's still pumping really hard. I guess that's what I wanted to say. But you, you want, today I want to talk about noise, and it was just interesting being there. When the ref makes a bad call, there's no like greater noise that you ever hear. And when you're at these games, probably at the you know Huskies Ducks games, you know people just booing, shouting, screaming, yelling. It's just noise, and it's so loud. And from time to time, when we're in those moments, it's awesome, it's fun, it's exhilarating. But we can't live like that 24-7 in the noise. And so today I just want you to think about that, like that uh, intensity of noise and just how in our lives there's lots of noise that can happen. And so today Paul really hits on peace. And so if you think about this noise, then the opposite of that is like peace and serenity. And Paul's going to be talking about that. And I just remember the minute I walked into my car, you know, you shut the door on your way home from the game, and then you sit there, and your ears, it's like you hear peace, but there's also ringing. And so it's just this, like, this thought process as we read through this scripture in Philippians 4, this idea of peace and how it just settles and it soothes. And it's there for us if we take it and hold on to it. And so think about that as we're going through this today. And so the scriptures we're uh, going to be walking through are Philippians 4, 2 through 9. And so let's open that together and read that. And so you'll notice the names at the beginning. I'm going to do my best. Now, I appeal to you, Euodia and Sintike, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women. For they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. He goes on. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again. Rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. 
Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting in, into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. And so this chapter is really the beginning of Paul's final instructions to the church of Philippians. We've been going through this series. This is the eighth week. So we've gone through it pretty slowly. And so now we're kind of getting to the end. We have this week and next week that we're going to be talking about. And Paul right here is really starting his final thoughts. And he's giving them these important instructions. And so it's important for him for Paul to say, you know what, I want this church to be at peace. I want them to be together. And so the big idea today we want to talk about that kind of encapsulates everything we're going to be talking about today is that God wants you to have peace. In the midst of all the noise that happens in our life, God wants us to be at peace. If you're walking through a disagreement with someone, God wants you to have peace with them. If you're feeling depleted in your life and you feel exhausted, God wants you to have peace. If you're worried or anxious about a circumstance that you're walking through in your life, God wants you to have peace. If your mind is scattered and you're not be able to focus, God wants you to have peace. And so this instruction that Paul has is for the Philippian church as a whole, but it's also for the specific individuals that are a part of the church. And so as we read this, this is the opportunity that we have to open up scripture and begin to make connections to our own lives and say, God, what are you teaching us here at Open Life as an entire church? God, what are you teaching me personally as I open up scripture and as I read your word and I'm struggling in my life in this certain area? God, there's noise in my life. Now, how are you going to give me peace? And so Paul talks through those things, and these are the things we're going to unpack today. And so we want to unpack thoughts that kind of help us promote peace. And so we promote peace when we thought one, work out our disagreements. And so in this first section that we read, Paul is asking these two women of the Philippian church, he's saying, please settle your disagreement. And so if you, uh, you know, we had sometimes have trouble with those names. You know, I had the verse uh, last month that had to talk about Epaphroditus. That's a person. And so it's just like having to like say all these names. And so the ease, the hard one for me I was looking up was uh, Sintike. It's like I actually went on my Bible app that I have on my computer. I clicked on the voice so I could have it tell you. And so did that. And so then for the first one, maybe you don't know how to say Euodia. That, that's an interesting name. So I just thought of something. God spoke to me yesterday uh, during the Huskies and Ducks game. He, you just go U-O, like as in University of Oregon, Ducks. And it's an easy way for you to say Euodia. It just is like, just say it out loud and it's like, we'll help you. So I'm a Ducks fan and so I'm trying to like have fun with y'all. I'm also, yeah, thank you. You're, you're uh, walking into my plan because I also wanted to create a disagreement to give us a good explanation of this first thought is that we don't need to be in disagreement about things. And so when we read scripture and when we read this passage, we don't know what the disagreement was between these two women. Uh, scholars, have, and if you read the commentaries, 
people might guess, they might like assume, they might say something, but really there's no conclusive evidence we know what the disagreement was. We know what it probably wasn't. They're honestly probably not talking about things that are like about God, like their people's viewpoints on that, because Paul would have corrected it. He, you know, he took every opportunity to make sure people had the right mindset and the right attitude towards Jesus. It probably wasn't something even that might necessarily be like sinful, because Paul, again, he would have said, stop doing that and do this. But something in them between these two women was a disagreement. And so we could think of all the different things. And I, you know, I play up my love for the ducks, your love for the huskies. That's a disagreement. So I don't think it's something that trivial or else people wouldn't have taken time out of his letter to address it. But it's important for us to think that Paul took time out of his letter to say, fix this, be at peace, come together. And then he said, if you can't, I'm actually writing to someone to help you. And if that doesn't work, I'm going to send Clement to help you too as well. And so where does this come from? Well, it comes from the teachings of Jesus in Matthew 18. And this is what he says in uh, Matthew 18, 15 through 17. This is all in the context of Jesus teaching as well about other things. And so it's important to know that. But this is what Jesus said. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again, so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. And so it's important for us to think about these things and actually realize that there's practical ways that Jesus and Paul were calling on people to be unified, calling on people to settle disagreements. And so actually we've talked about this kind of conflict resolution, being at peace, being peacemakers, how to forgive. We've talked about this before uh, about a year ago, and it was in a series called Living in Peace. And so if you're following along with the digital notes, there actually is a link in your digital notes to that if that's of interest to you, or if you don't remember, or if you need a refresher, or you say, you know what, I struggle with being at peace with people. I'm in disagreements a lot with people. It's important for us to walk this out because really what it signifies is our relationships with Jesus. The way that we disagree, the way that we forgive, the way that we settle disagreement with other people is oftentimes a witness. It's a pointing to Jesus in the way that we handle these things. And so just some thoughts to help us in this. First is just have the conversation Oftentimes our first tendency in disagreement is to run, to bury, to hide, and say, everything's fine. Well, what that does is when we do that bearing, now the one caveat, if you can honestly overlook the offense and say, you know what, I don't really care, it's not a big deal, and I'm choosing to not think about that moving forward, then overlook the offense. But if you can't do that, don't just bury, don't just run away, don't just hide, because what happens is, you take all that baggage with you to the next people that you're going to disagree with. You end up creating, in the long run, a bigger problem for you and for the people that you're disagreeing with. And so, we can, um, oftentimes, we just need to have the conversation. We need to take the step to just say, you know what, I'm going to settle this disagreement. 
And so sometimes we also need to help others or have others come along with us as we're trying to live for unity. Sometimes we might need to have a trusted friend, a trusted believer to come with us and say, you know what, will you pray with me as I'm going through this? Will you come with me even? Because I've tried to talk to them and they won't talk to me and we really need to find resolution. And so there are steps like this. That's why Paul was saying Clement was being asked to help Paul. And interesting that Paul points back to Clement was someone I spoke the good news with. These two women were people I spoke the good news with. We do not need to be disagreeing. That shows a lack of dis, or actually shows disunity. Paul's saying that all of this eventually points back to Jesus. This is what Jesus said about peacemakers. He said in Matthew 5, 9, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. When we work for peace, we actually show the world that things work different, differently amongst this group of people. And by this group, I mean like our church specifically, but also the church in general. And so I think we all can think of issues in our day today where we're not disagreeing lovingly, where we actually are showing disunity all across the board. And what that does is it shows a toxic view of who Jesus is. If we're supposed to be a living expression of Jesus, we need to live at peace with one another. So Paul continues on in verses 4 through 5. He says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. This leads us to thought to we promote peace when we hold on to joy. And so no matter what you're going through, this is our kind of command, is to hold on to joy. As we'll find out next week, Paul knows what it's like to find contentment, whether he has everything or whether he's in need. But here, Paul is strictly talking about having joy in the midst of whatever you might be going through. And so it's a precursor to what Dad's going to talk about next week. But many commentators will actually, actually um, say this. You know, like if you read different translations, it'll say, you know, have joy in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice and, and the things like that. But other commentators say another way to think about it is to never lose your joy in the Lord. I say it again, never lose your joy. And so when circumstances arise in our lives, are we quick to lose our joy? Or are we quick to hold on to it? We choose, and in my mentality for this, and the way to help me think, is that I'm going to choose to be joyful in the Lord in the morning. Before the circumstances of my day begin to affect me, before the things happening in life begin to wear me down, before the noise in my life gets turned up, I'm going to choose joy in the morning rather than saying, you know what, let me experience all that life has for today. And then at the end of the day, I'm going to choose if I'm going to be joyful in the Lord or not. We choose joy in the morning. We choose joy and then live our lives, not reacting to the things that are happening to us. And so this is hard. And this isn't easy. And that's what Paul is going to get to moving on. But interesting that he said, when you do this, people will see he said to be careful the way that you live your life. Other translations say like that you should be considerate of others, how you should be reasonable as you can be. You need to have a gentle spirit or that other people will see your gentleness. And so it's interesting to me that Paul didn't say, make sure everyone can see how judgmental you are. 
You know, it's not like have joy in the Lord. Again, I say it, rejoice, and then make sure everyone knows how uh, much you are um, in condemnation of the way they're living, especially if they're not a follower of Jesus. They really need to know that. No, he said, rejoice, have joy in the Lord, and let everyone see how reasonable you are. One of my favorite things to do is read from the message when I like to get a different perspective on a passage. And this is what Eugene Peterson paraphrases this passage, these two verses. He said, celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in him. Make it as clear as you can to all you meet that you're on their side, working with them and not against them. Help them see that the master is about to arrive. He could show up at any minute. We're continually holding on to this joy in the Lord if we have a relationship with Jesus. That's what we need to be doing. People are beginning to see it. So let your gentleness be evident to all. Be considerate of everyone in the way that you live as you're holding on to this joy. It's one of the ways that we are this living expression of who Jesus is. Jesus shows us the way to love. Jesus shows us the way to have peace. Jesus shows us the way to have joy, even in the midst of suffering. So let other people see it. And so now we jump into worry. And so this is like the part we were all waiting for, because I think worry and anxiety is something our culture really struggles with right now. And this is what Paul says. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. This leads us to thought three. We promote peace when we talk with God. And so it's kind of simplistic to just say that, that, oh, I'm going to have peace if I talk with God. But that's really what Paul's getting to here. And what do I mean when I say talk with God? I mean, I'm talking about prayer. Just having conversations with Jesus. And so again, I'd like to refer back to this past series. Two years ago, we did this series all about prayer for six weeks. that just talks about the different aspects and the different facets that we have when we pray to God. But so a good acronym. And so we share it every time we talk about prayer because we think prayer is super important. That we're, if we don't have a regular prayer life, then we're not talking with God. And we're never going to hear from him. And we're never going to be in this relationship with Jesus. And so the acronym we have just uses the word pray. P-R-A-Y. And if you remember, it's praise, repent, ask, and yield. I'm going to start my times of prayer in just praise, thanking God for everything he's doing. I'm going to take time to repent of anything that I know that I've done that is wrong, that is in God's sight. I'm going to take time then to ask, just as Paul talks about here, to ask God for the needs that are happening in my life. And I'm going to finish it and say, God, your will be done. I yield to your will in my life. And so it's a simple way that you can write out or you can just have it on your, your mirror or your wall. P-R-A-Y, praise, uh, repent, ask, and yield. It's a simple way to do that. And so Philippians actually, or in the New International Version, the NIV Version, that's the version I learned this verse in, but this is as this. And so this will kind of guide the conversation. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And so that's super important for us to remember that we present our requests to God through prayer and petition. 
We don't present our requests to God through anxiety and worry. Because I think sometimes we think that if we just are worried about something and we're Christians, that means we actually prayed for it. That like, if I'm just stressed out, you know, I could easily go through my day and just get stressed out about a need in my life. And you just go through the day and you might be something, maybe it's a decision that's coming up or an event that's happening or the next day is coming. And you're like, man, I'm just really worked up with this. I'm just really, you know, and then you're like, yeah, yeah, God, I'm just really anxious. But when did you actually pray about it? When did you actually say, God, please help me in this. I'm walking in this. I'm going to take intentional amount of time to just pray and ask you to guide me through this situation. And then it's really tempting to be on Facebook when other people ask for prayer, or people say a need that's happening in their lives, to just click that, not just the like, but to click the heart button, and then write in the comments, praying, and then scroll on. But do we actually take those things and actually pray for them, and actually take an intentional time to just say, God, I give you this situation, and I'm going to trust that you are going to walk with me through this, and I, God, I want your peace that goes across all understanding to help me walk through this situation. And so I, it's important that we realize that it's important to constantly be in prayer, to pray continually. Paul, in another instruction to the church of the Thessalonians, he says this in uh, his letter to them in verse uh, 5, 16 through 18. He says, always be joyful. So we've already hit that today. He says, never stop praying. Like to never stop. Other translations say pray continually. Be thankful in all circumstances for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. And so the themes for Paul when he's talking about prayer, anxiety, and worry are very simple. Have joy, continue to give your requests to God, and to be thankful at all times. Pray continually. And so if you think about this worry and anxiety, why do we do that? It's a fear of the unknown, I would say. It's a fear of what might be coming. You get a, a cancer diagnosis with you or your family, or you have a new job prospects and something is uncertain in the future. And so what happens? And we don't know what's going to happen. We worry. We might fear about what's happening. And so what I would want you to realize is that when we intentionally pray, what we're doing with our fear is we're creating a fear of that unknown and replacing it with the great unknown of God's peace. There's something really comforting to read scriptures where it says um, it's a peace that will exceed anything that we can understand. It's like, so it, you might say that it's an unknown peace, but it's something that you know you'll have when you have it. And so what I love is this, this idea of trading this anxiety, this fear, this worry that can sometimes so cripple our lives, even to make the next decision or to do something the next day, that we get to trade that with the peace that surpasses all our understanding, that actually helps us to live our lives the way that God wants us to, that actually helps us live our lives as a living expression of who Jesus is. And so you might be worried or anxious because I don't know what's going to happen at work. You can have that mentality, or you can say, I have peace because I've asked God for what I need, and I know that he's going to come through because he's come through over and over again. It's like that song, I've seen you do it again, now do it again. 
I've seen you move, now move the mountains. I didn't say that right, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> it's a piece that goes past what we're thinking and actually guards our hearts and our minds to live our lives full, to live a life that is full. And so Paul concludes this, and it's really important because he's talking about our hearts and our minds, the way we think. And so he's saying that when you pray and you give these requests to God, God's going to protect you and guard you in the way that you're thinking. And then he goes on and says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one, excuse me, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. And so this leads us to thought four, is that we promote peace when we focus on what is positive. And so this is where I think some serious inner work needs to be, we need to be honest about what God needs to do in our lives. Because I think where we're at right now is that we're pushed and pulled in so many different ways because of all the messages that you'll hear throughout the day. And so what I love about Paul using these qualities for encouraging them to think on these things is that he's using them almost as like values, like, you know, live your life like this. And so it's not like these values that like are just, well, we aspire to live this way. It's like Paul's actually saying, no, you should change your life and think about these things so it actually changes the way that you live. And so these are qualities that are need to be followed through on. And Paul is actually asking the church to fix their thoughts on these things so that they be actually become promoters of these things and not promoters of the opposite of these things. And so then I think this might be where God might be asking us to rearrange our lives and our thoughts in certain ways in practical ways, so that the God of peace can actually work freely inside of us. And so as you look at that list, and you, you have it up there, when you read these things, fix your thoughts on what is true, and honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. And then you think about all the different times where we're inundated with like just scroll through social media and there's people promoting literally fake articles that that like promote their side of things that's not true that's not honorable we promote things in our culture that don't go in line with anything that the way like Jesus would actually live we spend time, sometimes we need to think about like our entertainment choices and we, we just consume all these things that aren't in any in line with any of those things. And it's like, well, we, we provide and we, we make intentional time to pursue those things. But when do we to use Paul's instructions and say, I'm going to intentionally pursue what is true, what is honorable, what is life-giving? And so this is what's important is when do we fit in times like of being in Scripture and just saying, God, would you speak to me? When we take intentional time to maybe even be in nature on a walk that it's not, you're not doing it for exercise, you're not doing it for anything else other than just to say, God, you've created all this and I want you to speak to me 
as I'm going on a walk down the road and like let me hear the birds and like hear it for the first time and how great your creation is? When do we have time with friends intentionally that actually add to our lives and not deplete from our lives? Where we just say, you know what, these relationships are so important, they're so life-giving that like I'm actually finding what is true, honest, admirable in these people. You know, this is where times of worship come into play, where we just say, God, like, speak to me through these words as I think about these things that are those qualities that Paul magnifies. Like, that's where, when you, like, a new, Dave's saying a new song today, and so we have this choice. Well, I don't know the words, or I don't know the melody, and I can't really sing. I feel really awkward. And it's just like, no, like, zoom in on those words and read them and dwell on them and say, God, speak to me through them. Let me understand. Because when you do that, you begin to, like, even let Scripture speak to your heart as you hear promises and truths that come out of Scripture. This is where times at church are okay, or that actually uplift this. Times where we get to serve others, like people that get to go to the food bank in Sumner and do the backpacker program on Thursday nights. Times where we intentionally invest our lives, where we dwell on these things. Times where we get to be generous with our finances. Times where we get to meet other people's needs. Times where we honor and bless others, not because we have to, but because we just have it coming out of us. And so all I'm saying is I'm not coming down on anyone, how you're living your life, but I would just ask, where is the time allotment going? And how often do you take time to actually dwell on those characteristics that Paul said? Again, on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable, things that are excellent and worthy of praise. It's when we do this, like God begins to speak to us. It's when we do this, our lives begin to change. And Dave actually exemplified it with what he was talking about. He saw the love that God has for his kids as something greater than even the love that he could offer them. And it reminded him back on who God is. And so the more that we can put ourselves in those moments, the more that we can create environments that help those moments happen, the more that we're in this relationship with Jesus and not just doing it for some ulterior motive. And so I hope our hearts are challenged by what Paul is saying is that the God of peace comes when we reorient our lives to actually be in Christ, to actually be that living expression because it's who we are and it's who God has made us and empowered us to be. And so the action point, so how do we, what do we do with all of this that we've talked about, with all this prayer and all this peace, and what, what are some practical things we can do? Well, I think it goes back to verse 7, when he basically says the action point is just to tell God what you need and thank him for what he has, he has done. It's like for all of this, a good starting point is if we would just say, God, these are the things that I need. And so just like, remember, this isn't necessarily all the things that I want. Prayer is not just the list of the genie list to say, you know, grant these three wishes and I'm going to be so happy, God. No, prayer is like where we give our actual lives to Jesus and he helps us walk through these things. And it's like an awesome opportunity to actually be in relationship. It's not transactional. And so that's the action point I want to leave you with today that we would tell God what we actually need 
in order to keep trusting him today. Tell God what you need in order maybe to first follow him today. And so what we often say, you might have heard this phrase before, like when you first start to follow Jesus, we often call that like giving your life to Jesus. We say like, that's just, you know, who wants to give their lives to Jesus today? It's a simple phrase. It's something we say. It's a good word picture. But what happens is, is oftentimes when we start talking about prayer and worry and anxiety and the things happening in our lives, then we often might have this quick response to people that says, well, just give it to God. You know, it's like, well, what, what does that mean? How do I just give it to God? I still have to live my life. And then sometimes we might feel it's on ourselves where we get into this mentality of like, oh man, I just need to give this to God. And that might even create more fear and anxiety because we don't know how to do that specifically. And so what I just want to encourage you with is that Paul gives us a great way to actually tangibly create action. To say, you know what? Ask God for what you need but also thank him for all that he has done. And then from that, let peace reign in your life. Let peace cover over that ocean of fear or anxiety or worry as you do that. Because you're remembering, God, I need you to come through in this moment, but I also remember how you've walked with me through this moment in my life or I know that you gave me even my last breath to breathe. And so through all the noise, through all the clutter, through everything that we're doing, let us just remember that we are living our lives in Christ because we have given our lives to Jesus. We find peace through our disagreements in Christ. We hold on to joy, whatever the circumstance we might be going through, in Christ. We talk with God, we're praying, but we do that through Christ. And we focus on what is positive. We take time to contemplate all the good things that God has given, given us. And we do that in and through Christ. And so as I pray, if you've never taken that moment to actually say, you know what, I haven't given my life to Jesus. I am not a follower of Jesus. I'm going to pray. And if you just pray with me, let it be yours. And then let us know that you did that because we'd love to follow up and talk with you about that decision and help you create some practices that can help you do that. But for all of us here, I think we all have noise in our life that we just need to turn down a little bit. Or we have fear, anxiety, and worry about a situation or a problem that's coming up that we just say, God, I need to give this to you, but in a practical way that says, God, I need you right now. And I choose to also, with thanksgiving, think about the things that you've already done. And God, let that peace that surpasses all understanding come and invade my life. So let's pray together today. God, we come before you in this moment and we just say, God, whoever is here that needs to follow you, God, would they just say this simple prayer of, God, I choose to follow you and I give my life to you. And I might not know all the steps or what that means, God, but I choose today to make it my decision for my relationship with you. 
God, for all of us here who might be already following you at different degrees or intensity, God, I just pray that all of our focus would turn towards you right now, that we would think about our relationship with you and how you're walking with us through every circumstance, through every trial, that you're giving us joy, that you're giving us hope, that ultimately, God, you're giving us peace. God, I pray for anyone here who has anxiety or worry. God, though, that they would learn to trust in you in those moments, God, that you would walk with them. God, let them feel that. Let them trade their worry for the, the just the hugely insurmountable amount of peace that you have for us. So we just ask for your power and strength in this moment. As we worship and take time, may we dwell, may we think on those things that are true, that are pure, that are honest, that are admirable, God. We just give these, this time, this opportunity to you today, God. Speak to us as we do it. And may we live as a living expression of you as we leave this place today. In your name, amen.